0: Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about the metaphysics of music. Full disclosure, I thought this was going to be a real snoozer of an episode, but I could not have been more wrong. This was one of the more amazing conversations that I've been able to have with Dennis and Chris, and the ideas that they convey in this episode, they're just amazing, really fantastic. So without further ado, episode 41 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
1: Da 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 da. Hello, Chris Carstens and Jesse Weiler. Guy. We're here to talk about the metaphysics of music.
0: What the heck is that? Could you please tell me? Chris is blowing his nose.
1: Alright, well, today we're talking about the metaphysics of music. Okay. We've been talking about music a lot at the level of the church asks for this and that, and you should do this and sing the dialogues, and very practical. Uh, the nature of chant, but then beyond that, there's the kind of philosophical foundations of music. Can you tell me what metaphysics is, Chris?
2: I'm of, a, above, and the me, above, uh, above the physics, please. Above the physics.
1: Right and physics, meaning the physical world, right—the the, the yep. natural operations and natural laws. I mean, physics is basically about up, down, sideways, pushes and pulls, and equal forces and buildings that don't fall down. But beyond that, is, are the questions of what's the
2: nature of things? Where nature is the, the right word. All right, metaphysics so. speaks of uh, natures and essences and ontology. That's it. That's it. So I guess it's time
1: to get physical. <sighs> no, it's well, time to dang. get metaphysical. metaphysical. Would you Got pay it. attention, Jesse? <laughs> metaphysical, metaphysical. Okay, so. There's this fellow who came to speak at the Liturgical Institute the years Livia ago. Olivia Newton-John makes an appearance on the Liturgy. She <laughs> As she? Should our special <laughs> You know, she hasn't done much lately. We could probably, like, email her and ask her to be a guest on the Liturgy, guys.
0: Oh, and, and gals. I think that is a poor decision, but whatever. I you got do you remember the song? Xanadu? Multiply. Do you remember
2: Xanadu?
1: Yeah. No. What is it? Is that some planet? Right? That's kind of a metaphysical uh, place, I think. Xanadu. Like Shangri-La? Yeah, some sort of um, perfected world. They're all robbing from the idea of the heavenly Jerusalem or the restored world. And that's what music does too. Beautiful segue, you can thank me for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so anyway, a few years ago, (laughs) this fellow named Robert Riley came to speak. And he actually has a couple of videos online on the CUA uh, channel. He gave a, a couple of lectures there recently, again, on the metaphysics of music. And I think we think of music very much the way we think of everything else. It's something in the world. We do it, it's a product of our words and our desires. But he made the claim that um, before modernity in the classical worldview, um, musicians were artists who gave voice to metaphysical visions. So that's a funny thing. So imagine you got transported off to heaven in some kind of metaphysical vision, and you heard the angels and saints singing around the throne of God, and you heard the voice of the Trinity singing to each other, and you sort of remembered that. And then you came back to earth, and you were like, hey, Jesse, hey, Chris. I heard angels and saints singing at the throne of God. And you said, well, what does it sound like? And I would try to sing that to you.
0: <laughs> and I, it would
1: never be the same, but I would be like, they said this and it sounded like this. And I'm going to go over to the piano and plunk out some keys and try to reproduce what that sound was. And maybe I'll teach you a part and you teach you a part and we'll all sing it together and we'll try to make that thing that I heard and saw knowable in this world. That's what an artist does. Except usually they don't have the the vision of heaven, but somehow they know God gives them that grace to understand, and their job then is to say, I know this, and I want you to hear it. Would that be like inspiration? Yeah, inspiration, being filled with the spirit, with being filled with the knowledge of what a thing should be beyond the earthly world. So I could write a song and just say, you know, I'm, I'm having a blue period, and I'm writing a song about my feelings. Nothing wrong with that. Except it's not really a metaphysical vision, it's just a physical Yeah, That's more experience. physical.
0: Oh yeah, how you're yeah. physically feeling. Got
1: it. Right. How am I doing today? That's me. That's great. Nothing wrong with how I'm doing. But traditionally, music was understood, especially in the liturgical context, to be reaching into that heavenly future, pulling it back into our own world, and trying to um, let other people share in it.
0: So how, how do we get those images? Because you said not everybody sees the heavenly Jerusalem. So we right. talked about well, inspiration, but what else?
1: Well, yeah, you could have some kind of revelation from the Holy Spirit. This is how artists know. But part of it is natural, part of it is revelation that's kind of normal. You know, God showed the world uh, what he looked like in sending his son. God sent Christ with certain words about what the kingdom would be like. St. John had the vision of the heavenly Jerusalem and wrote it down. There's natural philosophy about what things might be like if they are perfected, harmony, order, number, and perfection. Sometimes it's not metaphysical visions that or heaven first but they come from the ground up hey if i were not sick what would it be like if i had 17 cups of coffee which i did today oh no what would i be like <laughs> i'd be super everything would be awesome it's not inspiration
2: right? it's in caffeination in it's caffeine, in caffeine.
1: Well, yeah i think caffeine is a is a gift from god you really. know cow that
0: just gave birth is decaffeinated just thought i'd throw that in there <laughs> Because I because I have nothing else to contribute to the conversation.
2: <laughs> inspiration, though I don't want to derail your uh, uh, train of thought here. But I mean, for for us, for liturgical music, inspiration is absolutely the proper word to use because there is uh, the music that the church sings is uh, literally I think you can use that word inspired. It's the spirit, the Holy Spirit that is filling the lungs and that is singing the song that the church uh, sings in uh, when you're talking about metaphysics, this is more theology of music, but in uh, one of the first recorded, I guess one of the first recorded songs in the Old uh, Testament it's the Song of Miriam that is sung after the chosen people cross uh, through the Red Sea. And so they get to the other side and uh, Pharaoh's army is all uh, uh, buried underneath the water and they sing the Song of Miriam. This is Exodus chapter 15, uh, which is also sung in the book of Revelation chapter 15 as well, This Song of the Lamb. But the... Is that worthy as the lamb who was slain, that one? Uh... I don't think so. Okay, anyway, go on okay. with your story.
0: We need fact checkers, I think.
2: Yeah, we do. <laughs> Kevin, can you fact check that for us? Thanks. Yeah, yeah. you and Olivia Newton John over there. Yeah, he refused. Uh, but who's directing this song, right? They've been directed by the kind of the literal, uh, I don't know, the batons are the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and the, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the texts that are being sung by the chosen people. That's the, the stuff, that's the theological underpinning of liturgical singing. Now back to you with the metaphysical right. underpinning. Of right, and other Samuel. people have visions too
1: of heaven. Ezekiel has the vision of, of heaven, and um, I think Daniel. And then uh, when Stephen gets um, killed with the rocks, you know, he said this, he sees. When Stephen him, gets stoned. He gets stoned. Yeah, and getting that's a different kind of getting stoned. You can get stoned and have pseudo metaphysical right. visions, but they're not necessarily trustworthy. But whether it's Christian revelation or not, you know, the Greeks figured out, they did a lot of study of the nature of things. You know, what's the nature of justice, beauty, harmony, music, that basically the whole classical worldview was that there is a metaphysics of sound, that you can use sound to express things more and beyond what we have, and that that's made up of different things. Harmony, rhythm, meter, melody, syncopation, which is, you know, like holding on to a note and then a little shorter note after that. Um, And that you use all these building blocks of music to not just do whatever you want, not just to reveal whatever mood you're in, but to sort of reach into the perfection of the future and bring it down into our own world. And that this was basically the way everybody did it until the 20th century, until modernity came along and said, no, Modernity, you know, there were, especially in the 60s and 70s, everything was going out the window, you know, and there were certain uh, musicians who would do things like they would um, put a bunch of notes on transparencies, you know, like clear transparencies, and then they would throw them up in the air and everybody in the symphony hall, all all the musicians would pick it up and they'd put it over a blank five note staff and then wherever the notes landed, based on the transparencies they picked up, they would all play that. And it was the musical embodiment of arbitrariness. Of course, it sounded terrible, right? But this is not the metaphysics of music. This is fallenness raised to the high
2: level.
0: That's like the definition of cacophony. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Or how about this one? I can't remember this this composer's name. Is it uh, Cage? John Cage. Four minutes and 33 seconds? Right. Have you ever heard that one? Well, you can't hear
1: that one. You know that
2: one, Jesse? No. You crank that one up? Uh, no. Until uh, eleven. No. I'll tell you. I'll turn that one. <laughs> Actually, up to no. 11. We should do that right now.
1: <coughs> do we have the license
0: <coughs> for this? <coughs> oh,
2: right. This could be a copyright problem.
1: <laughs> All right. No, nobody knows what we're talking about. What are we talking? Are you confused, Jesse? A little. Yeah. <laughs> I am a genius. I just composed thirteen seconds. And I should mm. fill Carnegie Hall with that. So Chris, tell us. What yes, I do. think you should
0: decompose. No, You, could, what go,
2: I you could go look on uh, uh, YouTube and, and look up four minutes, 33 seconds. It's in three different movements, if I remember correctly. Uh, the, uh, the, the director goes up. There's a symphony there, there. There's instruments. There's people in the hall. And he raises his baton and nothing for four minutes and 33 seconds. There's no sound at all except for- People clearing their throats, opening their
1: little candies, shifting their feet, murmuring, wondering what's going on, why is nobody playing?
2: That's- that's that's a modern or postmodern or some sort now, of, uh, were those composition things, of
0: music. were those things planned? Was it like, Okay, yep. Dorothy yes. who plays the clarinet
2: is gonna open a
0: candy?
1: No, no, this is the people in the audience. Oh really? Yeah. So the idea was that music isn't this thing that composers do ahead of time and force you to listen to, but that the real music of life is what people do when they are sitting there, or whatever. So basically those four minutes and thirty three seconds of non
2: music so that people
1: would listen to the sounds of the of the room.
2: So the meaning then that's, the, the, that's completely backwards is what well it's completely backwards from what we would understand as liturgical music. What Dennis is saying is, is liturgical music has a metaphysical, ontological, theological grounding that tries to find some external audible expression in music versus um, maybe some of the music uh, today, it, whatever there is no ground of music or the uh, the meaning of the music is from whatever's coming within you, the listener, but there's no objective ontological substance that's trying to be conveyed. So yes, that's about 180 degrees different from uh, how how the church would understand liturgical music. The opposite of this would be
1: arbitrary fragments of sound. Take a bunch of rocks and throw them in a pile and call that architecture, well no, that's arbitrary placement of bricks or rocks. What you really want to do is shape them, arrange them, conform them to a preexisting reality, hopefully not just architecturally, but that the architecture design itself
2: corresponds to
1: some pre-existing spiritual reality. See, and
2: that pre-existing reality, you know, back in the Old Covenant, Moses built the Tent of Meeting based upon the pattern he was given on the hill. And so right. he had a and pattern his, that transcended what he's, and he, he built that into a visible form. Later, uh, the temple as well, and this is what a church is today, is there's a pattern of of a heavenly Jerusalem that tries to find uh, an incarnate expression in architecture.
1: Right. So the question is, how do you find out what the metaphysics of music are? So... And this, this is a wonderful little article that uh, Robert Riley wrote. It's in a book called The Catholic Imagination, and it's pretty uh, old now. Uh, it's edited by a guy named Kenneth Whitehead. There's a nice collection of essays in there. But he starts with Pythagoras in the 5th century B.C. Great, you know, sort of mathematician-type guy. You remember Pythagoras?
0: I heard that he had a theorem.
1: Yes. A or
0: two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what is that? Uh, plus a or minus? A. a squared plus B squared equals C squared. Yes. Duh.
1: Oh, yeah. That oh, might yeah. be the only thing I learned in <laughs> high school. <laughs> Well, he was looking at the geometry of visible things and coming up with numbers like that. But he was also looking at how music is number, or has a basis in number. So he's famous for talking about the monochord, which is just a one-string thing. So, have you play the guitar? Uh,
0: I have in the past. Yeah.
1: So if you pluck a string on a guitar and you get a note, bum, mm-hmm. if you if you put your finger in the halfway point of that string and press down, you get a different note. Do you know what that is? It, would it be an octave? The octave higher, right. So okay. bum becomes bum. It's the same note, but higher or lower. It's all math. So if you cut the string, say the string is 15 inches long and you cut it into seven and a half inches long, that's one half the length. So that's a one to two relationship. So then octave as a musical arrangement has a numerical equivalent of one to two. So if you make a building that's two times as tall as it is wide, for instance, you're making the visual version of an octave. And so churches are often a minimum of twice as high as they are wide. And then to look like churches, some architects I know will only Always push for that the inside should be twice as high as it is wide. So then it starts to feel aspirational. Uh, we take this earthly note, which is down here, and it raises it to the heavenly note, which is the same reality, but higher. And then you could do the same thing again. <laughs> it's super high. Or, or maybe you can. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Some, some people. Uh, it's outside the normal range. Um, so he found that there's a numerical relationship between notes. And then you can do it in other ways. If you have a, um, you know, divide into five parts and you put a finger three down, you get the fifth, which is one, three, five, one, five. Hum this note. Mm-hmm. That's not that note. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this note. Where's Olivia Newton-John when you need hum, her? Keep humming that note. Mm-hmm. See, I'm on the fifth. You're on the third. You're on the root. I'm somewhere in the <laughs>
0: metaphysical world.
1: So... So no. a 3 to 2 relationship is a fifth. Boom. Bum, bum,
2: bum, 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 those sound good together. I think, think that will think be the... L- La- thing of of twinkle, twinkle, ba mm-hmm. ba black sheep, A, B, C, D. These are very naturally occurring uh, intervals that, you know, even a kid can sing mm-hmm. things like Yeah, right. well,
0: obviously I am not a kid and uh, I still can't sing it, but
1: anyway... Right, and you can keep doing this. And right. you, if you see organ pipes, of um, a pipe organ, they kind of go up in this nice little pattern where they get bigger and bigger and they make this nice swirl. You know, a pipe that's twice as big as another pipe will be an octave lower twice as small be an octave higher so there's all these numerical relationships four to three uh, relationships are the fourth so here comes the bride bum 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 one four five one this is every pop song is based on hopefully the it's not the fourth
2: bride but <laughs> <laughs> are we ta- are we is that the fourth you're talking about
1: here comes the bride is the okay. fourth yeah one do re mi fa one two three four in the scale so every pop song is bum, 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 right? Everything. We,
2: we talked once about what What do they call it? The millennial. Uh, millennial uh, whoop. The millennial whoop. And mm-hmm. it's a, this. that's moving back and forth, I think, on uh, not a, f- on a fourth. What's a on millennial? The What's a millennial It's like. Oh oh oh, 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. mm. yeah. It's not proper just to millennials but it seems to be in a lot of uh, pop music today this this, uh, but this you, whooping wailing back and forth on on a third. The mathematics of it is
0: not accidental. I mean it has to do with the vibrations of of the note. So you have if you have that string it's just that the vibrations are moving if you cut it in half twice as fast, right?
1: Right. So it's actually a numerical relationship not just in the notes on the piano keyboard but actually in the actual physics of sound waves. Right. So, But they didn't know that in right. ancient Greece. All they knew is when you did this note and that note, they sounded good together. And they didn't decide as a collective, oh, we've trained ourselves to think these notes sound good together. They just did. So it's pre-existing reality in the nature of creation
2: that those notes sound good together. All right. But you at this point, or at least in the last five or ten minutes, you're just talking about the physics of music. Yeah. Let's get back let's get to, to, the to the metaphysics. Met- yeah, metaphysics. Of, uh, well, uh, let's, let's take it up to eleven.
1: Yeah. But, but this is the thing. If you're going to figure out how to get beyond the earth, you have to figure Meta, out how the, how, Physica. the right, how the earthly things work. So, you start here and you said, okay, well, these notes sound good together and there's a number. But the, the, what where you're taking into metaphysics is you can say, okay, there's an exact numerical set of systems, ratios, whole numbers. There must be a reasoned intelligence behind the universe because the universe has this reasonable numerical discoverable reality and then you know the early christians come along and they say this is this is god right god is the intellect behind the creation of the world and his intellect is in the, our cr- creation.
2: the creation of the cosmos oh yeah the whole tell us cos- about cosmos cosmos
1: order right the order of things so everything's ordered according to a certain reality and, you know, this is something that every environmental activist knows, right? If you go in and plow through the redwood forest and kill the spotted owl, it's never. once it's extinct, it will never come back. This is how the world is ordered.
0: What about Jurassic Park?
1: Well, you can find the DNA maybe and try You're it again. Try- but, but even that is ordered because the DNA exists. We didn't make DNA. It pre-exists us. And so there's a natural law that operates in the cosmos. Uh, rainforests, once they're destroyed, they'll say they never grow back. They just depend on the pre-existing reality. The seeds, we didn't make seeds. Seeds just go from generation to generation. So there's a natural law running through the world. And then you say, well, okay, well, who made that natural law? We found out the double helix quality of DNA, but who made the double helix? So all the order of the universe then leads us back to, well, who made this? And what uh, did they want us to know? And how can we use it to imitate God?
0: And I, yeah, I this goes back to whenever we get into art and beauty, and, and even some of the, even some rubrics of the liturgy and signs and symbols. It always starts with the natural and goes to the supernatural. It seems kind of because we, we as humans are always looking for explanations for things that occur naturally, and as Christians, we order those things towards God. And so you're saying this is kind of the way things happen with both music and art and beauty.
2: So what, what you're expressing there is uh, came to be articulated by the scholastics uh, as grace presupposing nature, grace building but upon. That's really what I was getting yeah, at. Yeah, you and St. Albert yeah. the Great and St. Thomas and uh, Jesse Weiler. Best, best buds. But yeah, the real, real the trinity of uh, mind power <laughs> <right there.
0: laughs>
2: Wow, okay. But Thomas Aquinas, Albert the Great, and Jesse <laughs> of Vernon Hills.
0: Jesse the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse of Vernon Hills.
2: But there's a, uh, along these same lines, and I hope this uh, is... Uh, In keeping with the track we want, the cosmetic and beautiful track we want to be on, this is a line from Cardinal Ratzinger's The Spirit of the Liturgy on Sacred Music where he says, the courses of the revolving planets are like melanies, the numerical order is the rhythm and the concurrence of the individual courses is the harmony. The music made by man must be taken from the inner music in order of the universe, be inserted into this fraternal song of the fraternity of spheres. The beauty of music depends on its conformity to the rhythmic and harmonic laws of the universe. Now, as you said early on, uh, this is not necessarily my internal, uh, relative, individualistic type of expression. Liturgical music has a metaf- natural and met- supernatural uh, rootedness and bearing to it.
1: Right, he didn't call it this, but what he's talking about is a very old concept called the music of the spheres. And they knew that the planets you know, moved in a certain way, they, of course they circled the sun, and the you know Mercury is little and it moved fast, so it's like a, a high pitched instrument, like a piccolo. You know, ding, running mm-hmm. fast around the sun. And then Jupiter was big and it moved slow, and that was more like a string bass. And that D and D related to each other, and that the it was like each of the planets was an instrument that was going dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. And, and so Pluto's a
0: planet again
1: now. Well, is it really? keeps getting demoted yeah. and brought back. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs>
2: um, but uh, Easter is doing something just like uh, you're describing here, right? So, uh, Really? Tell me, Chris. It is. Jesse, how do we determine the date of Easter?
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, can you give me a second? got to go listen to a podcast. Uh, it's determined it's from the lunar calendar,
2: but after... You're partly right. After the after the winter okay. equinox. What you're trying to say is the Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring yeah. equinox, which has to do with the sun as well. Correct. Right? So the uh, the Easter that we, I think at this time, just celebrated, right? So uh, the spring equinox was, uh, what, March 20th or 21st, right? So imagine this is the sun laying down the base note. Bum. Bum. Okay? Now we have to wait for the moon to catch up. Now the full moon was on April eleventh, right? So it's going to add its voice. Bum, bum, bum. About the same time, uh, the lambs start to be born, so they're adding their voice. Hey. That's <laughs> right. Okay. All right, and then uh, we have to get towards the Sunday after uh, the sun goes down. So now uh, the Earth is adding its own voice too. Bum. Bum. So now you've got the sun singing, you've got the moon singing, you've got the earth singing, you've got the lambs singing. The lambs are represented by the stars that are twinkling. And so now you have this cosmic <laughs> voice of uh, this Symphonic beautiful. Symphonic exactly, chorus of, exactly, of So those nature. are the spheres of? Well, there's some of them, sun, moon, earth, stars. All of those go into determining the date of Easter. So uh, the whole cosmos is starting to sing of the Lamb of God. Did you case. notice every time you and I picked a note out of the air just now,
1: we picked the exact same note mm. every time? Man, mm. we are on, we are on. Mm. Yeah, we're, I'm not we're, not, in,
2: I'm. we're in tune with the, uh, uh, with the fraternal song. <laughs> but I'm the not. basic
1: logic of all this is there's a pre-existing harmonic reality that reveals the mind of God, and our job is to discover it, figure out how it works, and then apply it. This is what an artist does in the true sense. Sees the heavenly vision, And then figures out how to how to use it and then puts it into work for the people of god and the glorification of god the logic was if you participated in this heavenly harmony and you did harmonic things this would bring spiritual harmony to you because you know what it's like and eventually it becomes habitual so if you're you know a cranky type but every day you say i'm going to wake up and even before my coffee i'm going to say something nice to my wife i'm going to tell her i love her Eventually, that becomes your Would habit. Could you
2: get me the coffee, please? <laughs> <laughs> this coffee
0: is horrible. Darling. But it's better than it was yesterday. <laughs> but you See, know you're what? catching on, Jesse.
1: That becomes a habit after a while. And the mm-hmm. first thing you do is wake up and say something nice to your wife. If you wake up every day and intentionally say something mean to your spouse, then eventually that becomes a habit. So you become habituated to the things you encounter. And Can too, I get
0: a little deep here? So yes. we're talking about the spheres, and we're talking about them lining up. Would the Holy Spirit be like, the gravitational pull that's pulling you into that harmony. Yeah, the
1: animating principle behind the movement of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly breath. what I said. Yeah. But, you know, God, when he made the creation, what's the famous line, all was made, all was created through him, through the ordering principle of Christ. And who's Christ? He's the word of the Father. That word is Logos, but oh, Logos means word, but it also means the pattern of or the order. Uh, so Christ is the has the same pattern and order as the Father, and all was created through that. So imagine God's energy went through a I don't know what, like a screen or a sieve or something. And it, or, uh, it came out the other side in
2: the shape of Christ and it comes out in the shape of God and the world has that shape. Oh, listen to this. If we can go oh, back to Chris the, is uh, this big is now. Uh, if we can go back to the Pythagoreans. So this is a line that, uh, I gleaned out of, again, you want to guess Cardinal Ratzinger is the spirit of the You're liturgy. Like Little Ratzinger Jr. He talks, Jr. Uh, he
0: talks oh, oh, I thought you were yeah, going to say Aiden Nichols. Sorry.
2: <laughs> Did I tell you that no. about <laughs> these two documents? <laughs> so, uh, uh, Cardinal Rasker cites Plato, and I think it's his, uh, his document, his dialogue called the Phaedo, and he's talking, Plato is, about the Pythagoreans. And the, what the Pythagoreans thought is the, the intersection of like these two, the planes of the planets made the shape of an X. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a little bit different cosmology than they did. But, you know, imagine, say, for example, the, the Earth going around the sun makes one plane, and then the moon going around the earth makes another. And when you look at them at a particular angle, it makes the shape of an X. Or in other words, what the Pythagoreans thought, what, this is 600 years, but maybe more before, yeah, it's got to be more than that, before Christ. They said the whole cosmos was in the shape of a, a, cross. Of a cross or a chi. You know, every, the whole cosmos is speaking of, so when you talk about God creating through this filter and then it bears his image, the Pythagoreans, you know, thousands of years ago in their physical and metaphysical thinking, uh, found this very, very thing to be the case. Now, one other uh, point. This is from Pope Francis. We uh, talked about his comments on Musicam sacram, uh some podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has this line in there that true and good and beautiful liturgical music ought to make the hearts of those in the assembly vibrate. Hmm. Right so imagine you know we have this uh, theological metaphysical song being sung by the church and if we can be in tune with that song our own selves start to vibrate in harmony and concord and symphony with this so the
1: hippies rhythm. had something they
2: were like good vibrations man you they, got a good vibration and the you, beach boys well right, but you know that's not completely
1: wrong if you meet somebody who is gentle docile sweet loving generous and you, you can just see something in their face you're just like i like that person something about that person is delightful to be around and you know we the hippies call it vibrations but i think we know what we're talking about it's someone who is filled with this order and harmony and divine life the the big point you know that robert Riley's making this article is music is more uh, than a discovery more a discovery than a creation it pre-exists us, and our job is to take this pattern and use it. So if a scientist were going to do some genetic um, research, they'd have to find the pattern of the genes and then take something out, put something in. It's a pre-existing reality that they then manipulate for a good outcome. And the better you and more you participate in the good, the harmonic and the beautiful, the more harmonic and beautiful you become. So liturgical music, which is trying to make us more ourselves and glorified, more like God, should therefore reinforce that in us rather than sort of decompose us and take us apart. If you knock down a church with a wrecking ball, you're decomposing a church building. If you assemble all the parts in an orderly way, then you're building something up and making something better. All right, so I'm
2: not a scientist, but I'm a choir director. So what does that mean for me as a choir director?
1: Well, if you have four parts and they're not singing in harmony, hey, you're flat over there. Hey, you got to tune that up. Or if their voice is not... People
0: always tell me I'm sharp, and I just think that's the best compliment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, not an choir, It's not. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, but if you're if you're not harmonic with each other, you've got to adjust until you are. Or if you're, um, we used to have. I would sing in a group, and we used to call somebody that the, the, the just Justin Rossellino All Stars. He was the guy who sang in the group before we did. And you know, if you sing in a group and all the words end in S. Choirs tend to go, because they can't get that S at the same time. So what we do is pick two or three guys who are really good at S's, and they were the all-stars, and they would just do the S's together. They were the S guys? The S guys. Everybody else would not do S's at all. But what that did mm. is instead of S's, which sounded in, uh, imprecise, you made everything sound precise, ordered harmonic and whole and you have to adjust to make it that way.
2: So there has to be harmony within the group of singers, but that group also has to be in harmony with the the unseen ontology and metaphysics and theology of the liturgy, which is trinitarian and ecclesial as well.
1: Remember the beauty discussion many moons ago that consonancia or proportionality uh, is an attribute of beauty. If you think about a typical choir experience, there's so many proportions there because there's a reality in heaven that the composer has to sense and then make his music correspond proportionally to that. Then he's got to write them down on the paper. So his notes have to correspond to what he knows in his head. Then each note has to correspond with itself. Then it's got to get printed and the choir members get all that. So his copy has to have a to the copy everybody else has. Then they have to look at it and see it. So their eyes have to have proportion to the music and then Whoa. their brain has to understand it. Then the muscles wow. in their throat has to have proportion to the note and the people next to them. It's like a thousand kind of proportions, but what you get at the end is symphonic, harmonic, Revelation of something beyond. You really do need Pythagoras
2: as your uh, uh, choir director should know very well the Pythagorean theorem, et cetera.
1: Except the early Christians come along and they're like, "Hey, guess what? God is good because He gave us these Greek philosophers to help us." So, um, you know, Clement of Alexandria talked about the new song. Christ Himself is the new song, or the logos. In other words, there's a proportionality between the Son and the Father. So the Father sings Christ into being and love, and then Christ reveals that to us, and then we can apply that wherever we go. But you know, that's an interesting thing. What's the proportionality or the, or the number relationship between the Father and the Son? One to one. One to one, right? So that's uh, a note. They're the same uh, note in a sense. But then we're created in the image of, of Christ uh, in a reduced way. So we have... So
0: a, we're like a lower octave. Well, kind of, or a higher <laughs>
1: octave. We're in proportionality oh, yeah, to Christ and therefore we're in proportionality to God. So when you hear those, that language about uh, we're created in the image of God. There's the famous uh, Leonardo da Vinci picture that everybody sees. It's the guy in the square and the circle. The naked dude. Oh, something the, man. What the is it? Vitru- Vitru- Vitruvian man, Vitruvian man. Man. The name for Vitruvius, who's an ancient architect. And he fits in a square. And um, so some of the medieval theologians would say, well, you know, Christ wasn't really God plus one or God plus a billion. It was God multiplying himself because he gave his full self to the sun. So God times God would be God squared. Squared, right? So uh, we fit into the square. So it's not so much a God's a square as much as we are in the image. We share something of God's very own nature, and it can be symbolized or sacramentalized in this geometric or
2: numerical system. And many, right, many of the Eastern churches, in fact, uh, are built as as cubes, basically. Yeah, and then you
0: put a half, a half sphere on top of it.
1: Well, right, because the the cube is the biblical image of the shape of God, because the Father multiplies himself and the Son, but the Holy Spirit is the love between them, so the three persons of the Trinity are not finite additions to the Father, they're multiplications of the Father. So God times God is God squared, God times God times God is God cubed. cubed. Right, so when St. John sees the vision of heaven and he sees the heavenly Jerusalem, he says its length and its height and its depth are the same, meaning heaven's in the shape of a cube, uh, or really, heaven's in the shape of God. And if you're gonna make Mm -hmm. a church and you want it to be in the shape of God, well, take the biblical precedent of the cube. But see, that's a one to one to one ratio. And one is very funny. If you add one to itself, again, three times, what do you get? One uh, plus one plus one. You know this. Three. 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 If you multiply <laughs> it by itself three times, what do you get? One. One, right. It doesn't work with any other number. Two plus two plus two is six, but two times two times two is not six. So one is this funny particular thing where one and three coexist. Multiply it by itself, it's still one. The Trinity is still one, even though it's multiplied itself three times. Wow. But you add them to itself, it's still three. So one and three correspond in the number one um,
2: unlike any other number.
0: Yeah, but one is the loneliest number, so just remember that. It's not the loneliest number. Oh, okay. oh, right. yeah.
2: <laughs> See, that that song is, uh, is an expression of an interior sentiment and not an uh, objective reality. That's exactly reality. the point I was trying to make, Chris, yeah, you but... Uh, you served up a soft. But you have a
1: little trinity in your house, right? Because you you have a wife and you've become one, but then you produce mm-hmm. a child and you become three, but you're one family, the one and three. Mm-hmm. Are and then now the
0: one. second child comes and we don't know what we are, so.
1: Yeah, you'll be a four. <laughs> yeah, right, we'll be a four. Okay. But the logic is Christ brought harmony to the world that was, was falling apart, and music is a participation um, in this. The disorder of sin gets reordered um, through the ordering of the many parts, many people, and we get harmony out of that. And guess what? We like it. It gives us pleasure because we're geared and ordered to to live this way. So uh, if God's not the ordering principle, then what is?
2: Four minutes and 33 seconds. Well,
1: whatever the heck we think it ought to be, right? If there's no order logos in the creator, no ratio, no harmony, no system, you basically have an unorganized mess. And then the intelligentsia of the culture have it in museums and uh, concert halls, and they tell us it's great. So if there's no truth, then all we can do is embody chaos, and this is all rooted in number, order, creation, as revelation in the mind of God. And we take all of this to liturgical music and use it, combine it with the text the Church has given us, and guess what? You get to swim in, what did Pope Francis call it, Chris? The a cloud. The of, luminous cloud. luminous cloud of heavenly realities.
0: Ooh, that sounds delightful. All right, so uh, I learned a lot of things today, mostly the definition of what metaphysical meant, so that was... Ri- pretty cool I think uh, but uh, I think it's time to answer a liturgy guy's question what do you guys think I, I, we don't have the rights to that song this we is 4 stop. minutes and 33 we seconds gotta, we gotta stop doing that
1: I'm gonna use the order of God and say yes oh, please don't do this to me yes excellent <laughs> that makes me so nervous
2: So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the Church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the Church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the Magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
1: Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
0: All right, this week we have a question from Anonymous. Anonymous says, I work at a retreat center and we do have a Paschal candle in our chapel but we do not do an easter vigil mass how should we prepare the Paschal candle for use during the liturgical year
1: of course the problem is they are going to have mass on monday when the Paschal candle needs to be probably risen. yeah and if you haven't gone through all the process of preparing it what do you do chris what would you uh, say if someone called your office yeah like we have so. in fact we have
2: this problem here <laughs> because all of our
1: students are going to be gone well yeah i was just going to say
2: yeah we have a Paschal candle yeah and it's not just for liturgical institutes and retreat centers. Uh, very often, more and more often, there's a pastor who has two or three parishes and those second and third parishes themselves most likely would not have had an Easter vigil at which that candle would have been blessed. Right, so what you, are those places? Cuz
0: you said one before, you said one candle. One you candle. Don't just, you
2: can't just like bring five candles this is true. to one Easter vigil. Yeah, okay, so yeah. yeah. So but the I institute just, couldn't take its candle to the local parish and just kind of throw,
0: <laughs> throw it in, in, in. there, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> make the, it pretend like it's one of the tiny candles at the
2: vigil mm-hmm. the official answer to this question is nowhere to be found there's no clarification really? anywhere about uh, that i'm aware of that uh, accounts for what other places do to have their candle blessed and so there's there are lots of um you know, kind of uh best-case scenarios to try to get this done. Some places do, in fact, bring additional Paschal Candles to a single uh, celebration of the Vigil. Uh, This doesn't seem to be in keeping with uh, the theology, the rubrics, Mm -hmm. Um, what uh, I believe the... I'll tell you what we do in the Diocese of La Crosse, if people were to ask me this, uh, is that we suggest that at those places, Liturgical Institute, Retreat Center, Parish B or C, is that the candle be blessed according to those texts uh, at the vigil at the at the next available mass, so Easter Sunday morning or something like that? Is there a
0: blessing though that you would use for you that? Would
2: use the same blessings oh. that you would use at the Easter vigil, but you would use them uh, prior to or at the beginning of the mass, uh, you know, on Easter Monday or whatever that, or on Easter Sunday uh, the next time you would have mass. So you would do the uh, marking or the cutting, however you want to do that. You would insert the grains of incense. Uh, and you would use the appropriate text at that point. Huh. Uh, again, this is this is coming from from me. There, there's no official document that says you should do it this way, but then again, there's no official document that says you should do it any other way either. So it's kind of a, a conundrum where you have to bring principles and some 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 theology and hopefully some prudence and pastoral uh, insight to what's the best thing we can do in this uh, circumstance. So this is at least what we re- this is what I recommended to. You know, to Dennis, I think, when we, when we discuss this, is to bless the candle at the first available opportunity. Um, in a public
1: after. liturgical setting, to just get somebody over the weekend to do it so that it's done when they get there Tuesday morning? Do
2: don't or take, don't. Do,
1: uh, wait, are you saying do, don't do that?
2: It's no, better to would, do it in a public think, yeah, to do worship? It, yeah, everything liturgical is better when it's done publicly. So that's oh. a, most in accord with the, the nature of the liturgy. I'm just
0: going to write Pope Francis and ask for clarification. Yeah,
2: well, Good let luck. me know what the answer is yeah. that you get well, he back. He calls okay? people
0: sometimes. Maybe he'll just call me. All right, if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at Thank you, and God bless.
1: The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Ah. Now that's a podcast.